0: We're kind of at a new day and an exciting time for what the Lord's doing here at First Baptist Wataga. One of the, uh, we we started today a new series. We're going to have a new series that we're launching in the service, but also in our growth groups or our Sunday schools, depending on whether you're here on Sunday or Wednesday night, coming to a growth group, and uh, where we intentionally are working with our own material, tying what the, where the Lord is leading us as a church through the preaching schedule to our uh, growth group material. Now, we've done that for four weeks, but that was kind of, as we were kicking it off, I was ending the series on John. This is the first series that we have intentionally uh, tied those two together and planned that out from the very beginning. So, if you're in your growth group this morning, you will have already studied a little bit of the background of what I'm going to be preaching from. We're going to be looking at at Malachi, uh, the last of the Old Testament prophets, the minor prophet. And uh, this morning in your growth group, you actually would have studied Nehemiah 13, Who was a contemporary, and so we'll get into some of the background of that in a little bit. I'm excited about it because this is the first day as we begin to move forward with this new vision, and uh, Malachi in particular has some very, uh, each oracle in Malachi is going to speak directly to some issues that we deal with in real life, even though he was talking to uh, the Israelites or, or, or those from the southern kingdom all the way back in about 500 A.D., Uh, And in our growth groups, we're looking at these direct cultural issues where we're going to be looking at how God designed us but how the world has strayed off of that, uh, the world's counterfeit, and, and we're looking at issues of mental health, of, of marriage and family, uh, race, and, and so forth over these seven weeks as in, in the growth group material. So, all of that I'm really excited about. I want to give you one item of a kind of business. Yesterday, we had a uh, uh, memorial here for a long time, A couple from our church, Claire and Ginger Berthoff. Claire passed away at the end of June. Ginger went home to be with the Lord at the end of August. And those of you that know them know that two years ago, uh, the Lord led them to move back to Iowa to uh, Claire's old home place. It was a farm that he lived on. I was privileged. This church gave me the opportunity to go back and be a part of his memorial in Iowa and then they came down here, Ginger was buried there, and we had a memorial here. There are some of the memorial booklets, especially for the older folks that knew Ginger and Claire well. If you want one of those, Brett wanted to make sure that you could have one. It kind of tells a story for Claire and ginger, and they 're on the back uh, back tables back there by those uh, rear entry doors. while we were here, and let 's see if I can make eye contact with my wife because I'm gonna make sure I don't get in too much trouble. Oh, she's working back. Oh, there she is. Oh, way back. What are you doing back in the corner? I just told Cole that A students sit up on the front row. And you wanna be an A student in the kingdom of God, right? Yesterday, uh, before the memorial service, a good friend of mine and mentor, oh gosh. I may have myself in a lot of trouble now. Hi, sweetie. (laughs) Now I'm not gonna be able to preach. Darren Biles, Dr. Darren Biles, who was a good friend of mine. Many of you know him. He's been a friend of mine since the 1980s. He has his uh, doctorate in Old Testament. Uh, He was my supervisor and my mentor as I walked through the doctoral program over the last several years. He walked in and he saw our signs and he looked at our signs for our new series and he said, so you're preaching on Malachi, huh? And I said, well, yeah. And you know, it's kind of a joke that, that you pronounce it that way. And he said, you know what? As I look at that, that makes me think, maybe you need to start your sermon with the video of the Malachi Crunch. Now, I tried to run a test on this in my Sunday school class, and nobody knew what I was talking about. Is there anybody in here that remembers the Malachi Crunch and what happened to Pinky Tuscadero in the third season or the fourth season of Happy Days. Somebody remembers the Malachi brothers were the bad guys, obviously. And uh, so Darren actually sent me the video of that. I am not going to show it today. You'll have to go Google it, look it up on YouTube, if you want to learn more about the Malachi Crunch. Uh, certainly. Uh, Malachi is pronounced just that. He's spelled the same, but uh, he is not kin to Rocco Malachi from Happy Days. Uh, Malachi is the last of the Old Testament prophets. Uh, I want to give you a little bit of the setting for those of you that weren't in your growth groups uh, because it is important for today's lesson. Malachi is a very difficult prophecy against the nation of Israel. He calls them out pretty hard. There are six direct oracles, and you'll see these oracles that kind of take this format. God will say, I've done this, and the people say, well, how have you done that? And then God goes on to tell them. Or He'll say, you've done this, and they'll say, well, how did we do that? And then He goes on to tell them. And He's very direct. Today, we'll be looking at the first oracle, which is kind of an introduction to the prophecies. Then there's five very challenging ones. Today's is a little bit easier to swallow. There's five really challenging ones. And then the last uh, message in the series will be kind of the appendix of Malachi, the last few verses of Malachi. The Israelites at this point, uh, when I say Israelites, we're talking about a, 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 that's a generic name. You, I'm going to give you a little history lesson real quick because it's so important. The Israel is made up of, of 12 tribes essentially. The northern ten tribes uh, were centered in and around Damascus as their their capital city. Damascus was taken over and destroyed by the Assyrian Empire in about 722 BC. And, And the northern ten tribes disappeared in fact they were dissipated the 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 assyrians when they would take over a nation they would take the remove everybody all of the leaders all of the wealthy people all of the property owners they would remove them and they would spread them to different areas all across the empire so that they would not be able to marry within their race. They would force them to intermarry, which would dilute the national identity of a people. And they did that so that they could help squelch or repel any kind of rebellion that might come back against Assyria. So, the Northern Ten Tribes, you've heard the term probably, the Lost Tribes of Israel. That's who that refers to. It refers to those Northern Ten Tribes. The southern tribes, the southern two tribes, were more faithful to God, and God preserved them in a different way. They they were centered around, the focal point was the tribe of Judah, and then you have the tribe of Benjamin. But the tribe of of Judah uh, is what became the name of that area, Judah, Judea, or the Jews, okay? And so, you're familiar with that, that nation. They were the southern two tribes. Jerusalem was their was their focal point. That's where the temple was. That was their, their their capital, their focus of worship. Jerusalem did not fall until later on. They did not fall to the Assyrians because God protected them. Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians. In about 586 or 587 BC, Jerusalem was overrun and destroyed. The Babylonians went about things differently. They took the people, they would take key leaders and they would bring them to Babylon, but they would you, their their plan was to utilize the best and the brightest of the nations that they conquered for their benefit. And so, they did. The stories of Daniel and his friends are all about uh, great, intelligent, good-looking young men that the Babylonians brought to Babylon to use for their purposes. And it helped Israel or, or the southern kingdom kind of keep its national identity. That's how God in His sovereignty protected His people. And then after a a, a few years, it was a a few decades, the Babylonian empire fell to the Persian empire. The new Persian king, when he came along, uh, had a relationship with a a guy who served under him named Nehemiah, his cupbearer. And God began to move in Nehemiah There was a remnant that was left in Israel, but he began to hear about how uh, the nation was destroyed, Jerusalem was destroyed, its walls were destroyed, the temple was destroyed. He had a burden. He began to pray. God called him back and uh, used him to help reestablish the kingdom. When he first went back, he called the people there back to God's Word. They began to rebuild the walls of of Jerusalem, and uh, things were going pretty well. He left, went back to what was then his home in Babylon, and years later, heard that things had begun to go bad again. So, he goes back to Jerusalem, and he finds that those people who had said that they were going to follow God had begun to turn away from him. And, And Nehemiah 13, that you said in your growth groups, deals with that issue. So does Malachi. Malachi is a prophet who is speaking to the people during that time. And so those are the people he's dealing with, people who call themselves God's people, people who call themselves worshipers of God, but they have forgotten who they really are in God. They, They are believers only in name. And God is going to call them out on that in Malachi, through the prophet Malachi, in in at least six different ways, and then we get to the appendix, kind of we'll summarize things here in a few weeks. Today's uh, message is the lightest of those messages, and it focuses in on the love of God that he calls his people back to. I've structured this this series under the heading of uh, really seven steps or seven things that we need to understand for personal renewal. The first one that we need to grab a hold of is the depth of God's love for us. Now read with me, if you would, Malachi chapter 1, the first five verses. And even in today's text, you're going to find a, a verse that is, you're going to find it a little unpalatable, and it's a little bit hard to deal with as we walk through this text, so we'll try to, try to work through it. The Scripture says, a pronouncement, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, yet you ask, how have you loved us? Wasn't Esau Jacob's brother? This is the Lord's declaration. Even so, I loved Jacob, but I hated Esau. I turned his mountains into a wasteland and gave his inheritance to the jackals. So Edom says, we have been devastated, but we will rebuild the ruins. The Lord of armies says this, they may build, but I will demolish they will be called a wicked country and the people the Lord is cursed forever. Your own eyes will see this and you yourselves will say, The Lord is great even beyond the borders of Israel. Now, we put this in context with the history I've just told you and realize the position that these Israelites were in. They weren't feeling the love of God. They weren't really feeling it. They had gone through some rough times. As a nation, they had seen their, their temple destroyed. They'd seen the walls of Jerusalem breached. They'd seen the best and brightest of their young men taken off to a foreign country. Many of them turned into to eunuchs to make sure that they could not carry on the lineage of their ancestors. They had uh, suffered a famine, famine, they had suffered terribly at the hands of the enemy. And they were hurting. And, and, and even when they began to try again and, and begin to enter back into worship, things weren't easy. And because they were struggling with such, a, with such difficulty, some of them f- kind of fell off the wagon. They began to worship other gods, they began to go other directions. They, they had forgotten. God's promise and God's love for them. Now, I want us to begin there because I believe that that's the very first point of application that every single one of us can identify with. There are times in our lives when God speaks into our life and says, I love you, and you're going, how do you love me? Look at how things are going. I had a call from a really good friend this week. I think I mentioned it yesterday. Uh, His dad is suffering and dying. He's struggling with some difficult health issues. And as we talked about it, you know, he he said, I just don't understand why it has to be this way. Where's God's grace in dad's struggles? Dad's ready to go home. Why doesn't the Lord just take him home? And I confess, that's one of the questions that I struggle with, uh, with my mom. She struggles with Alzheimer's right now. And so there's times when circumstances in our life are so challenging that we wonder, does God really love me? Where is his love? Where is God in the midst of this tragedy, where is God in the midst of my battles? And the Lord knew that, and so He has some things that He wants to say to to the Israelites in Malachi. He wants to talk to them about how they've abandoned uh, their 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 the wives of their youth, and they they've turn themselves over to all kinds of of sin in that area. He he talks, he's gonna deal with how they've abandoned uh, their their worship of him, how they've abandoned their giving, uh, how they've abandoned the things that God told them from the very beginning were so important. But before he does that, he wants to remind them that I love you. And I believe that, that more than anything else, if you were to sit down in a, room, in a room alone, just you and Jesus, for just a few minutes, you had a few minutes to talk face-to-face. He came in. He sat down across the kitchen table from you over a cup of coffee. One of the first things that would come out of his mouth is, I love you. I thought about you a million times because I love you. That is God's nature toward his people. He loves us. And so he asked the questioner. he said, the Lord says, I have loved you. And they look around and they say, how have you loved us? Look at this mess. I want to take you back to, to how God told the Israelites to begin with how he reminded them of his love. And I want to credit Matthew for this. As we were praying over this text and looking at this text as a as a staff, he pointed something out to me that I went back and did some research on this week. When the Israelites came out of Egypt and God began to truly establish this nation who had developed and grown in Egypt and he rescued them out of Egypt, there's, of course, two books of the Bible that deal pretty directly with that. One of them's Exodus, one of them's Deuteronomy. In Exodus, you'll find the you'll find this reminder right before Moses receives the the Ten Commandments. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 4, the Lord tells Moses, before he gives him the rules, okay, before he gives him the law, he reminds him, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Before he gives them the Ten Commandments, he wants them to understand that these commandments are given to them because he loved them. He chose them. He bore them up on eagle's wings. He brought them out of of Egypt. His desire was to to make them a people. He goes on in verse 5 to say, if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession. Out of all the people's all the whole earth is mine, and you will be my kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that I want you to say to the Israelites, God tells Moses. He reminds them that I chose you. I could have chosen them. I could have chosen them. I could have chosen them, but I chose you to be my kingdom of priests. Now, one of the struggles that Israel had was they got this wrong. They thought God chose them because they were bigger, they were better, they were more wonderful. God chose them because they were so cool, and God chose them. And, and so, they, God gets to, you know, they get to keep God as their God, and, and, and you know, they get all the benefits with none of the responsibility. That is not why God chose them. That's not what he even says in Exodus chapter 19. God says, I chose you to be a kingdom of priests. A kingdom of priests are those people who have, a priest has access into the presence of God and the responsibility to take the message of God to a lost and dying world. Israel struggled with that. They didn't get that. They wanted to keep God to themselves. They didn't want to fulfill the commission that God had given them. How much is that like us as the church when we want to hold on to the benefits of God, we want to hold on to the the good things that God tells us about, but he has called us, in fact, he says in the New Testament that we as a church are a kingdom of priests. We have the privilege of being able to come to this place of worship, come into his presence to worship him through the blood of Jesus, but we have the responsibility of taking his message to a lost and dying world. His love, His choosing of us is not because we were better than anybody else or the fact that He's working in our lives is not because of any good in me. It's because He loves. That's His character. That's His nature. The very nature of God is to love those whom He's created. And He chose to love so that He could use us for His purposes. Deuteronomy is a a similar text to Exodus 19 in that Deuteronomy chapter 5 lays out the Ten Commandments in a different way. Deuteronomy chapter 6 begins to, to deal with Uh, the the most important commandment that Jesus refers back to, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, find in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And then Deuteronomy chapter 7, 8, and 9, you find these three big pictures. I can't preach on all three of those texts today, but it's important for where we are in Malachi. Because I want you to see, at the end of the Old Testament, right before the Old Testament closes out, and then we have to wait 400 and something years before they ever hear from the Lord again through John the Baptist uh, and, and then Jesus' birth, he's reminding them of his love, which points back to the very beginning when he called him out of Egypt. And in, in, he says it in three different ways. In, in chapter 7, I'll just read a little bit of chapter 7 of Deuteronomy, verse 7. He says, uh, or starting in verse 6, "...for you are a holy people belonging to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be His own possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord has set His heart on you and chose you not because you were more numerous, for you were the fewest of the peoples, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath He swore to your ancestors." God tells him in Deuteronomy 7, I didn't love you because you were the greatest nation, because you were the biggest nation, because you were the most powerful nation. In fact, you were the weakest of nations. You were the smallest of nations, but I loved you anyway. Deuteronomy chapter 8 says, I didn't love you because you were wealthy, because you could do great things for me, because you could build great temples for me, because you could could make golden statues for me. In fact, When I chose you, you didn't even have shoes to wear. But I kept your shoes from wearing out in the desert. I kept your clothes from wearing out in the desert. You were poor. And in spite of your poverty, I chose you to love you. He goes on to say in Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 12, when you eat and are full and build big, beautiful homes to live in. Man, is this not a picture of America? and your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold multiply, and everything else you have increases, be careful that your heart doesn't become proud, and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the place of slavery. When you have arrived, don't forget that the only reason you're here is because I loved you. And then, third, Deuteronomy chapter 9, he tells them, and I didn't pick you because you were good. In fact, Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 6, he says, understand the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stiff necked people. You're an obstinate, sinful people. I gave you this land. I. I chose you because I love you. Folks, the only hope we have of experiencing life as God intended it, of of living a life on this earth that's full of meaning and, and, and is fruitful, is not because of our power, our riches, or our righteousness it's because god despite our frailty you know which one of us can change the direction of a hurricane which one of us can add a a, a day to your life <laughs> which one of us can stop global warming God can. He's the creator. He created the climate. He created all that we see. We are weak in comparison to the power of God. The richest, the wealthiest of all people on this earth is like a poor beggar in comparison to the riches of God. I just wonder every once in a while, how much gold is there in the universe? I don't mean just on earth. How much gold or precious metals does God own in the universe? It's unfathomable, the wealth of God. And somehow we think he needs us. Even in our poverty, God chose us. And in spite of the fact that he is infinitely holy and perfect, he chose us, sinful men and women. Why would he look down upon such weak, poor, dirty, sinful people and even care about us? It's because of his nature. He Loves us. Malachi, he, God orders Malachi, his messenger, to begin this series of oracles, some of them that are going to be difficult for the Israelites to swallow, with an incredible affirmation of his love. Now, he does so by moving forward, by saying, remember, I chose you I didn't choose Esau. I could have. We struggle with that, those words of love and hate in this text. I've struggled with it as I work through the text this week. Hebrew scholars struggle with it. Experts struggle with it. It, This is more than just a comparison, though. When when Jesus tells us that, you know, you've got to hate your mother and father in comparison to your love for him, that's a comparison text. This is not just, it's not just that, and compared to how much he loves Israel, he, it looks like he hates Esau. This has more to do with his choosing. God in his infinite wisdom, in his sovereignty, by saying here, the, the English translation is, I loved Jacob, but I hated Esau. And then he, he directly connects Esau to Edom, which Edom is the nation that came out of the lineage of Esau, Okay. Edom ultimately rebelled completely against God. Now, a large part of what's going on here, God in his foreknowledge and in his wisdom, he knew where Edom's descendants or Esau's descendants were going to head. He knew where Jacob's descendants were going to head, and he chose to work through Jacob's descendants. Now, let's be clear, Jacob's descendants were not holy. <laughs> You don't have to read very far through the Old Testament to understand that everybody that descended from Jacob was not holy. And and in fact, you'll find that word hate applied to many of Jacob's descendants because God hated them because of their sin. He He hated them in the same way that he hated Esau. He chose to work through those who would follow Him. And in fact, we're going to get into a lesson in your growth groups of, uh, a little a little further down the road where you're going to begin to see that when God was dealing with people, He was more concerned about their spiritual character than He was their lineage. When we get into the, 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 the study on race, you're going to find that even when they came out of Egypt, the Israelites, there were multiple races that were a part of that. They weren't all directly connected to Abraham in their lineage. And so God says, with all of those who came out of you, the foreigners and the sojourners who come out of Egypt with you, those who worship me, those who accept circumcision and submit to me as their Lord, they now have become Israelites. So they might have had a different color skin, but they became Israelites. The issue was not race or direct lineage, and I don't believe it is here. The issue is, are you connected by faith to the faith of Abraham, your fathers? And see, that comes all the way over into the New Testament. The issue for the Jews, even as Paul deals with the Jews in Romans 9, 10, and 11, the issue for them was that there were so many of the Jewish people who had denied their faith. They might have claimed the lineage of Abraham, so they thought they were gonna be okay as the people of God. Paul says, look, if you're not following Yahweh by faith, if you don't have Abraham's faith, you are not a descendant of Abraham. Descendants of Abraham are connected to him by faith. Here, God chose Jacob and poured out his spirit upon Jacob. But I want you to hear something. Edom came to personify the kind of profane and self-centered existence that often characterized even Judah and Israel. And so, in Malachi's mind, and and part of this comes from a quote from Andrew Hill in his commentary on Malachi, the story of Jacob as Yahweh's choice to inherit the covenant of his fathers, despite their many faults and foibles, is one of great faith and obedience tempered by personal crisis. What I want you to see here is Jacob's lineage, those who were connected to Abraham through Jacob by faith, were so not because they were perfect but because they worshiped and chose the living God as their god God's plan ultimately and we saw this in Exodus chapter 19 the passage I read earlier God's plan was for Israel to take the message of his love to the entire world not to keep it to themselves because he loved all whom he created he reminds us in, in 2 Peter chapter 3 that even today he's delaying his coming because his desire is that all should be saved. And he wants to give everyone the opportunity to come to salvation through faith. The Lord does not delay his promise, Peter says, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. God's love even extends to the nations beyond Israel. Ultimately, God loves us because he created us and he invested in us because he created us in his image. And then finally, God reminds Israel that his love for them is gonna be eternal. You see this in that last verse and a half, when he says, though Edom, this nation who, who is the picture of evil for the Israelites at this point. at Malachi, when he hears these words from God, is probably going, yeah, get them, God. Not only did they hurt you, they hurt us. And so they are the epitome of evil in Malachi's mind and then the Israelites' mind. And so they're glad that, that, that God says that that I've devastated them, but they're going to rebuild. But you know what? I'm going to devastate them again. They are a wicked country and a people to be cursed forever. So, those who, who continue in rebellion against God, this is not just an affirmation of God's justice and righteousness. This is an affirmation of God's love for those who will follow him. He His He's promising Israel here, remember, I've loved you. And even though you failed, as long as you continue to seek me and turn back from me, you won't be destroyed. But those nations that refuse to turn to me will be destroyed. They'll no longer be in existence. And here we are, 2,500 years later, and there is still an Israel on the face of this earth, and there is no more Edom as a nation. God reminds Israel of his love for him in this. Those who continue to turn against him, refuse to repent, will be utterly destroyed. Those who will seek him, he will keep his promise. And he tells the Israelites here, when I destroy them, you'll be there to see it. In verse 5, he said, your own eyes will see this. You because you, you are mine, whom I love, whom I'm chosen, and, and, and there's a remnant, that's a word that we're going to hear, among the Israelites, there's a remnant of those who would seek him. He's going to continue to protect that nation. And in fact, just as he promised through Israel, he sent his son, Jesus. Through the lineage of Jacob, he sent the Savior, who offered hope and eternal life, To the entire world. And notice what he says as he closes out this oracle in verse five. You yourselves will say, The Lord is great even beyond the borders of Israel. God wanted his love to be shown and displayed far beyond the borders of Israel. He loves his children, he loves those who are his. By lineage from Abraham, but he loves those who are his by faith. I want to back up just a moment because here's where I want to close out today. If we are going to move forward personally as a church, even as a nation, if we have any hope of moving forward with true restoration and revival, being able to stand against the the battles of the enemy in our culture. If we're going to do that, we're going to have to begin by going back to this very important foundational truth. We are not here because we're big enough, because there's more of us, or we're more powerful, or we have more wealth, or because, because we're somehow more righteous. There's not a single one of us who deserves to be called a child of God, not one, not me, not any of you. We are blessed to be children of God, adopted into his family because of his great love for us. He loved me even though I could bring nothing to the table. In comparison to His power, I am so weak. There's nothing that I have that I can offer His kingdom. He loved me even though I'm so poor. In comparison to His wealth, His riches, His glory, He doesn't need my money or my goods, but He loved me anyway. See, his his love is unconditional. His love is not based on what I could do for him. His love is based on his character and his, his desire for me, someone whom he created in his image, to be restored into a relationship with him. He loved me despite the fact that not only was I a sinner, but I still sin against him. And he knew it up front, and he knows that though I may grow in faith and I may grow closer to him, I'm still going to mess up. He loved me anyway. You know that when God moved in your life to call you to be his child, or when he called you to a role to serve him and his kingdom, your shortcomings, your struggles, your sin... not a surprise he knew already he knew you were going to mess it up and he called you anyway because he loves you isn't that good news isn't that awesome despite my sinfulness god loves me reminds me of one of my favorite passages the apostle paul wrote to the church in rome romans chapter 5 when he says god put his love on display In this way, God displayed his love in this. He demonstrated his love in this. While you were still sinners, Christ died for you. He didn't wait for you to get right, He didn't wait for you to clean up, to offer you eternal life. While you were in the pit, Christ died for you. There's nothing that I have that I can offer a holy, powerful, magnificent, majestic God except my heart. All I can do is, he says I love you, and he wants me to love him back. All I can do is just simply respond. That's what I'm going to call you to do today. If first, you have never responded to that gift of God's grace, you've never made that decision to say, you know what, if God loved me enough to send his son to die for me, I want to accept that gift. I want to Choose this day to follow Christ. If he loved me that much, I'm going to learn more about it. I'm going to seek to follow him. But believers, if you've already done that, you've already followed, you've made that decision to be a follower of Christ, but you're struggling, there's stuff going on in your home, there's stuff going on in your family, there's stuff going on in your own heart right now where you're away from God, please understand, just like the Israelites, You cannot get so far away from God that you escape his love. And he's going to say some very harsh things in the coming weeks. He's going to deal with some harsh issues through Malachi. But he wanted to begin by reminding them, I'm only telling you these things because I love you. So if God's dealing with sin in your life right now and, and you feel like it's harsh and you're struggling with it, remember, he's only dealing with you because He loves you. Just as a father disciplines his children, He loves you. You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Wataga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior, equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Wataga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwataga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory, honor, and praise.